0: I don't know what's going on.
1: All right. Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, Episode 85. I'm Rory and I'm joined by some other nerds Matt. Hello. Ryan. Hello. And Carissa.
2: Hello, humans.
1: Together we (laughs) take on this week's comics. I'm like the only person who didn't have anything interesting to say there. Goddamn. (laughs) Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books, then come back. Each week one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of a week. And I'm that nerd this week. So this week, our pick of the week goes to Batman number 29. Our companion song is Dinner for One, Please, James by Nat King Cole. Because well, everybody's having dinner in this issue and it's pretty much everybody's trying to kill everybody else. So it just seemed like Dinner for One (laughs) is what they're looking for. So, listen to the song. Dinner for one Please, James Madam will not be dining. Yes, you may bring the wine in. Love plays such funny games. Dinner for one, please, James. Okay. Batman number 29, DC Comics, The War of Jokes and Riddles, part four, written by Tom King, pencils by Michael Jannon inks by Michael Jannon and Hugo Petrus, colors by June Chung. Now this issue, what happens is that Batman gets this brilliant idea as Bruce Wayne bringing together the Joker and the Riddler and having dinner, like a nice nine course dinner so that they can talk over their issues or so it seems. So it starts off with the Joker. Joker making some corny ass jokes and the Riddlers telling little riddles and stuff like that and they get pissed off at each other and at one point or another and the Joker throws a knife at Riddler's head and then Bruce Wayne cons everybody down and then says that I'm looking to save Gotham and make sure that everything's okay and obviously you guys aren't going to be able to settle your differences so I'm going to give a billion dollars to whoever I think is more worthy of running the city and then that person will be able to take over the other's guys and wipe them out i don't know how to make short story long out of this one but entire issue is they're sitting there having dinner and they're explaining to bruce wayne why they should be the one that rules and riddler has his big long explanation of why the joker's inferior and joker is just i'm the joker and he's the riddler That's it. Who gives a fuck about the Riddler?
0: (laughs) Oh, that was so funny.
2: Just the panel, his eyes shifting and his facial expressions, it was classic.
1: Oh, yeah. Most of what got me on this, not like a super exciting read as far as what you expect for Batman. The story's great, but I mean, the artwork is phenomenal. Just Joker's expressions throughout this whole run has been what's really won me over with this. They go through that whole thing, and then everybody leaves... And Bruce Wayne tells them that they can release their hostages. I hope you'll release them safely. And Joker's like, I think I already killed my before I even got here. (laughs) And so he's talking with Alfred later about how he brought them there so that he could figure out, okay, which one is worse. He had to figure out which one was the one that he just can't tolerate being in charge here. I love this issue for the two reasons that I already lined out. It was an interesting idea, this whole idea of nine-course dinner to have them hash out their differences or talk shit to each other or whatever so that he could analyze them. I thought that, that was a great inventive idea. The artwork is just top-notch. What did you guys think?
2: It wasn't just him to analyze them. He wanted to know whose side to join, which I thought was very interesting. And the fact that there's different lines that they say throughout the, the course of the French dinner where Bruce, that they, they draw in like his eyes grow a little larger because some of the things they're saying is just so like fury invoking to him as the bat and I'm sure it's Bruce also but he can't, he has to play this billionaire playboy kind of philanthropist only cares about the city maybe questionable morals to convince them but you can see that he's just like reeling underneath. It's just so subtle in some of the wording and the drawings. The facial expressions alone tell a story in this issue
0: mm-hmm. yes
2: and i love it and plus there's lots of alfred and that you know that just makes me happy
3: this i think is probably one of my favorite batman books of all time but tom king constantly keeps fucking doing that to me he, he and michael janin or michael janin just need strapped like tied locked into a room and batman <laughs> until they die i agree <laughs> like feed them of course
0: how benevolent of you
3: <laughs> i'm fair though i feed them you know <laughs> They have a bathroom, but they just need to keep pumping out awesome Batman stories.
0: (laughs) Why am I picturing Annie from Misery?
3: (laughs) I love that they have a proper dinner here. I love that they've got just the visual layout of the table and having the two on either side there. It was just fantastic. And then the panels, the breakdowns, I can't find anything wrong about the actual story pages of this and then at the end he's like my mother would have been horrified letting them leave before dessert
2: they're not offering them coffee or sherry
3: yes and i'm like oh my god this is so perfect just it's a perfect book it's like this is not the first time that a tom king and mikel janin batman book is the perfect book and i think it was also in the war so i'm like fuck just keep doing this please can he take over the dc universe it's so goddamn good
2: it was so good and there wasn't even a kite man in it kite man it would have been even better
3: nobody even got
0: punched in the face it was amazing but you don't need that it's fucking brilliant they just ate <laughs> salad bitchily at each other and it was awesome these bitched at each other
2: with
3: like little snarky remarks it was amazing there's like a scene where bruce is like i'm gonna say gotham again <laughs> with my money
0: it's <laughs> real superpower
3: that's the thing is i'm like that right there i felt like it was dc being snarky towards people who are like well his real superpower is money and he's like yes it is
0: <laughs> there are so many things that are amazing about this book the first and we've said this many times is tom king will always find a way to tell you the story in an interesting manner and he doesn't just use one trick every issue is like a new tour de force of writing in this one he talks about how a formal dinner is so you can enjoy your food and savor it and come to understand it and the way that they present the actual courses of the meal is you're getting to understand the characters like this is way slowed down of a story so you can focus on their actual motivations and what they're doing the art in here it's almost all just close-ups of three characters faces bruce wayne the riddler and the joker and their expressions are so perfect. The Riddler and the Joker are both in here, especially the Joker, has such contained menace, and an unhappy Joker is truly truly terrifying terrifying
2: you can see the disdain the turn of his mouth it's really so well done but then there's also panels thrown in where you see like the table far out and you see each of their factions on each side of them which makes this really kind of well framed artwork as well
0: yeah this is fantastic bit of character and that's what tom king is fantastic about is really exploring characters he understands them so well here And I think that the book you mentioned to Carissa takes a really interesting turn when you find out Batman is going to join the War of Jokes and Riddles on someone's side. I did not see that coming. I like when things happen that I did not foresee happening.
3: It's a tour de force. Like seriously, if this was a like a short independent film or something like that, I would see this winning at a film festival like Cannes or Sundance or something like that. It's that good of an issue. Guess who's coming to dinner?
0: That's the movie I was thinking of. yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. It also makes me think of Tarantino scenes where people are just sitting around and talking and you wouldn't think those would be riveting. People talking is generally very, very boring to either watch or read. But when the dialogue crackles and the tension is there, it can become really, really fascinating. I think this is that. Kind of thing. Like if you like the opening diner scene from Reservoir Dogs, this actually really reminds me of. Is Inglorious Bastards in the beginning where the Nazi comes in and there are the people under the floorboards and there's that whole thing with the milk. That kind of tension in a conversation. That's what this book is.
3: Yes, I was just thinking the same words. The whole thing feels tense, like there's like a violin string that's just been plucked and it's just going for the entire.
1: Alrighty, I'm gonna give this bad boy five fish heads.
2: I also gave it five. Alfred makes such good cake. I will give it five
0: Who Cares About the Riddler.
3: I'm going to give it five Courses of Sherry and Coffee. Ah, one of our
0: unanimous five-star books. That doesn't happen very often.
1: Nope. Nice. I picked well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right,
2: now
1: off to space.
0: Yes,
2: all new Guardians of the Galaxy, number eight, Marvel Comics, Robin and Steelin', written by Jerry Duggan, pencils and inks by Marcus Two, and colors by Evie St-
0: he's mm, sort of a,
2: sort of Cena, Sor- I'm sorry nice color so <laughs> all right <laughs> So Rocket is still poisoned and they don't know what to do and they're freaking out. So Peter in his reckless abandonment throws on one Negaban thinking one Negaban's better than no Negaban and he just jumps into space after the rafters. He punches and does stuff and the other one puts on the Negaban and they fly through space and land on some abandoned
0: planetoid. It's like they Nega star punch each other into unconsciousness and crash on that planet
2: it's pretty awesome correct and then there's a couple <laughs> malfunctions because they're going against each other and you know they're not supposed to do that meanwhile back on the ship really sad and cute moment of Groot trying to siphon and filter the poison out of Rocket and him telling Groot no you're already something's already wrong with you because you're you know so small still don't do that and Gamora trying to get Rocket to explain to her what she needs to get the ship moving because they realize they need to get the Milano moving and she keeps telling him come show me and he's like they're dying so she really doesn't seem like to have much empathy she's just like all business then he's like you need to find the kill switch so she's yelling at drax to help him find him they're just like chuckleheads they are not the well-suited pair to try to get the ship moving (laughs) peter makes a deal kind of like i need the poison the raptor's like well we use lots of different poisons give me the bands and they keep like saying no you'll live if you give me the bands no you'll live if i give you the bands peter does make the deal thinking that he doesn't have time he's wasting time rocket is going to die so he gets the poison eventually from the guy and in the guy's like, okay, now hand me the band. So, and Peter's like, you know one thing about bands, They open up warp portals. And he, like, hits the button and tosses it in. The guy's like, no, and jumps through. Ends up on a planet with a bunch of Ultron clony junkies.
0: Those look so
3: rad. <laughs> Ultron zombies.
2: So that's not good for him. Peter gets back. He comes in right at the point where Rocket's like, don't let Quill see me like this. And like Gamora's carrying Rocket around and like baby Bajorn.
0: That was pretty funny.
2: It's so cute. I'm like, I want to cosplay that so bad. <laughs> so cute. So they inject him and he's getting better. But there's this thing going on with Groot. You see baby Groot or toddler Groot, I should say, sitting there. And he's like, um, uh, they're all busy trying to heal Rocket. But he has like this weird reflection of a full grown Groot in his eyes. And then the page ends with another, other Flora Colossus basically eating munching on people and stepping on people and saying how hungry it is and Groot's seeing this or something. There's something going on there. This is like the third time they've shown other Flora Colossus like full grown ones and being ones being evil. So that actually really intrigues me. What do you guys think?
0: I thought it was really interesting that Groot is saying things other than I am Groot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, too. that was kind of shocking to me. I was like, what?
0: They
2: don't notice because they're so involved with Rocket. So it's interesting. Because he's
0: not really saying other words he's just like, uh, like he's making other noise Mm -hmm. so i think something has definitely changed with them so
3: technically groot when he regenerated he should be able to talk again because groot used to be able to say a large vocabulary of words back in the day but the whole i am groot thing happened because his voice box constricts and hardens as they age so the only thing he can say is i am groot but he's baby groot now so he should be able to talk right
0: Hmm, maybe he's learning how to talk.
3: It, perhaps he might be like relearning and he's going to be doing some like talkie-talkie. I think the whole reason they s- kind of switched him over to only ever saying I am Groot was first it was that and then in the movie it became such a big hit and then it reflected back under the book so that they only have him say I am Groot anymore even after he's regenerating.
0: I thought this issue was exciting. The art was really good. There were cute moments. There were sad moments. There were cool space explosions and punches. There's the Baby Bjorn rocket which is adorable there's that moment when Groot wants to filter the poison out, and he's like, don't do that, just stay here with me. I thought that was touching. So it had a lot of stuff going
1: for
3: it. I really liked it. It was a good example of what a, a good Guardians book should be. It's action-packed, has some moments of humor, it's got really good art. I liked it a lot.
1: I definitely dug it. I'll give them credit. Usually I'm kind of critical of just punch battles, but these were really done super powerful punch battles, so I actually enjoyed that. It was good Guardians, but it didn't really like grab me all. All that much.
0: I think what was good about that fight in space where there's punching each other is that the setting and the circumstances of that fight matter more than just two super strong dudes with powers punching each other. It's the fact that the Nega bands are split that's creating interest in that scene. Yes. So. It's not just punching, because just punching is really boring.
1: Really boring.
2: Yeah, they start glitching every once in a while. They couldn't rely on them.
1: Yeah,
3: I like when they glitch how the bands themselves go kind of like a gray color. They're literally powered down. I thought that was a good detail. They're
0: clearly setting up some kind of big reveal, because he doesn't know who this other guy is, but he knows who Peter Quill is. So I'm sure at some point the mask is going to come off, and it'll be old man Smithers who's running the amusement park or something. (laughs) We'll find out who it is. I mean, it's probably... Maybe Adam Warlock or something? I don't know.
3: Well, I gotta wonder if it's the actual Darkhawk. He
0: keeps saying he's a Darkhawk ripoff.
3: Well, I mean, Darkhawk is this shitty character that they came up with in the 90s, and then they built them into actually having like a backstory with the Shi'ar. They're basically Nova Corps, but the Shi'ar's version of the Nova Corps, except for the Shi'ar already have that because they have the Legion of Superheroes, but the Shi'ar's version of the Legion of Superheroes. The Shi'ar are not terribly original people. There's a Darkhawk book coming out with a legacy. They're starting the book back up again, so I'm wondering if he's that person but there's something fucked with his head
2: i enjoyed it i felt like this was a well-balanced overall guardians book it had a little bit of everything and things i liked so i'm giving it four and a quarter i can take out a dark hawk cover band
0: like you
1: i liked it but it didn't really like tickle my balls too hard so i'm gonna give it three and a quarter poison taste tests
0: I will give it three and a half. I am hungry.
3: (laughs) I really liked it, so I'm going to give it four pairs of Mega Bands.
0: All right. Still in the Marvel Universe.
3: So speaking of Generations, the next book is Generations, All-New Wolverine and Wolverine. Marvel Comics, uh, The Vanishing Point, The Best. Written by Tom Taylor. Pencils and inks by Ramon Rosanas. And colors by Nolan Woodward. It starts off with a classic just Wolverine fighting ninjas scene, which I think we can all do with more Wolverine fighting ninjas. Fuck yeah. Yes, we can. <laughs> but it's not Old Man Wolverine. It's classic yellow togs years and years and years ago. And literally, he's getting his ass handed to him, which is weird, but still nice to see because a lot of people tend to do Wolverine like he's Batman with claws. He's fighting, but he's like, hey, if they can drown me, I'm fucked. So he's got shurikens sticking out of him. He's got, I don't know what those chains with the blades at the end of them are called, but they're stuck into him and they're dragging him back. And he just digs his claws down into the ship that they're fighting on. You just hear, scream! And then you hear schnick. But he's already got his claws out And he's like, what the fuck? And you can see the look on his face And then you just see X-23, Laura Who's the all-new Wolverine In her outfit Looks like the X-Force outfit And she just starts ripping into the fucking hand So they're fighting, fighting And they kind of get to the end of it There's one hand left And she pulls a fucking katana out of her back And throws it And sticks the guy to a shipping container And cuts off his bandana Just so that she can get the scent Because we find out that Akiko Who is one of Wolverine's Not really, actually his daughter but I think she's one of those people he's... Adopted. ...throughout time, who's probably going to end up getting killed at some point in time, probably by ninjas. They go after them. The Hand kidnapped them for some inexplicable reason. So Laura and him are fighting together, and they this got to be sentimental for her. He does what Wolverine does, and he protects people he cares about. He's just got this innate sense of, okay, I should fight with this person. They're like me. They understand this. They kind of get each other, and it's just... It's kind of a ballet of blades and, and schnicking.
0: I also like that he knows enough about how like the marvel universe works he's like you're probably some kind of weird time traveler altered dimension yes (laughs) He's like, whatever, let's go stab people. just
3: going to accept it. I'm like, okay, whatever. You smell like me. Let's go fuck some people up. (laughs) It's a simple book. It's not anything deep or extreme or anything like that. It doesn't show the extreme artistry of the Batman book that we read, but it's just, it's fun. They end up getting the kid back. And at the very end of it, I don't know what the fuck it is about. Every time Laura and Logan are in a book together, it just gets really sympathetic. And at the end of it, I mean, they have a fight with Sabretooth because you can't have a fight with Logan in the past without Sabretooth. There's action Laura cuts Sabretooth two's fucking hand off that was right yeah that's
2: pretty
3: bad they saved the kid but at the end of it laura and logan have a nice little moment he was just gonna head off and do the logan thing and disappear into the night she's like no go spend some time with her and it's just like bye daddy and the fucking last scene in logan
0: where she's hugging him and he's, he's fading away
3: oh yes and i'm just like fuck and she just goes goodbye dad and she disappears and i'm like <sighs>
0: see so you said it's not a deep book i think it's really insightful towards the end It is,
3: but it's deep in the way that wolverine is deep and everybody just kind of seems like it's just it's very deep and insightful at the very end but most of the book is just a good wolverine fucking people up book and then at the very end of it it does what wolverine books do goes deep that's always been the thing about wolverine is he's this quiet warrior that you think it's just action and stabby stab and then there's something towards the end of it there that just kind of digs the claw in and twists and that kind of what it did for me
1: so i thought that this was boring as shit. For me, my problem with this is that they so went into the typical Wolverine story that I felt like I'd read it before. So for me, I didn't really jive with it especially with you can't just have it be ninjas which ninjas are fine you know we all know their power level is inverse to how many of around (laughs) okay first of all we already used the vampire ninja joke not too long ago and now we've got undead ninjas it's like all right come on guys come up with a new idea well
2: that's the hand
1: though that's the hand's entire stick
0: i think this is supposed to feel like a classic could be any time wolverine story that they're jumping into the middle of
1: that's the whole point of generation for me it was just too much like the old books like come on give me something new here give me some meat I wasn't feeling it.
0: <laughs> what do you think about it, Carissa?
2: really liked it. I mean, it had the Wolverine feel that I like. And then I like when she's fighting Sabretooth and he's still trying to recover. And you hear his little voiceover as he's watching the fight scene. Or, you know, he's like going, she's like me, she's still going. And then, like, when, then when she kicks Sabretooth and her, her claws on her feet come out, he's like, okay, that's different. <laughs>
3: I really liked that part. It was an awesome scene.
2: I just liked seeing him re-experiencing his reaction to her. thought that was really neat. And then, yeah, the end was, oh, right in my feels. To me, it had another good balanced book. Like, it had the action and, like, the nostalgia of the characters that I really like, plus then the sentimental part. So I thought it was really well balanced, and I really liked it.
0: I agree. I think this was pretty fantastic. It has the two things that I think you want out of a Wolverine book. You had beating the shit out of ninjas and stabbing them in the face and decapitating them. All that stuff is great. For Wolverine, he's good at it. But there's also that sadness, that deep sadness that runs throughout the character that makes him interesting as a person. And I liked the part where she was telling him, you're a coward. You're choosing to walk away from here because you're afraid you're going to mess it up, but you need to actually spend time with her. Thinking that you're going to walk away and make her safe by doing that, the hand came for her when you weren't here, so... Fucking man up, get in there and read her a goddamn bedtime story. An appropriate one. I liked it. I thought they really nailed the essence of the characters. And the appreciation that he had for the all-new Wolverine, watching her in action, I thought that was nice, too, to see her being a badass, too. Lame. Well,
3: not everybody can be right about a book, so, you know, just saying. Three.
0: Three out of four nerds agree. Use Colgate and read these (laughs) comics.
3: I am going to
1: give it four schnicks.
2: I gave it four. We take our emotions
0: and we stab something with it.
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it, so I'm going to give it one and a half. Together we're a nightmare.
0: <laughs> I will give it four. Four and a half. Well, that's different. All right, so speaking of different, we're going to head down south yeah! for Southern Bastards number 17 from Image Comics. Gut Check Part 3, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jason Latour. So if you're thinking you haven't read Southern Bastards in a while, or maybe you missed a couple issues, you're right. You haven't read Southern Bastards in a while, but you haven't missed any issues. There's a reason why there's been a break, and they actually explain it in the end. Jason Latour's father died, their editor's father died within a couple weeks of each other, and they took a bunch of time. Off. and the letter in the back is actually really really touching if you read it where they talk about the loss of his father and the kind of man he was and how this book is really personal so it wasn't something he could just go back to and grind out the marvel by the numbers books this is a personal work for them and that everybody came kind of together as like a family and didn't really push each other to put out a book when they weren't ready but now they are That was really harsh for me, so yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really, really good. And it makes me dislike them as people. But when you come to the actual book, I think it does suffer from that break. Inevitably, it's going to suffer from that. But it's the South. It's football. It's Rednecks. And this is the continuing story of Coach Boss and his war with the other football team across town you've got this assistant guy that he has been kind of promoted through the ranks because their defensive coordinator killed himself because of all the evil they've done and he's doing a bunch of stupid shit like he's going and fucking people up and fighting them but that's hurting the team like oh they're running back broke his leg because they were in a car accident and the receiver got his hands cut up because he was smashing windows and he keeps saying things like well we can't let him get away with it coach we gotta show him who's in charge here and it's like well what we need to do is field the goddamn football team <laughs> <laughs> so we don't lose and they're saying that this is about more than football which I think in the deep south and in lots of parts of this country football is about more than football and this book really expresses that that this is the very identities of the town that are together the parts that were interesting to me is in one of the retaliations that happen because there's all these people get beat up and hijacked and kidnapped and shot as it goes back and forth between these towns the one that was interesting to me was where they burn down his office and coach boss runs into the room that's on fire and starts pulling out all of the old playbooks because it has their defensive coordinator who killed himself it has all of his wisdom in it and he actually ends up burning his hands and there's a scene later on when they're having a truce and they do that like manly handshake and the guy squeezes his hand because he knows it's burned thought that was pretty cool and then you have a scene where he's sitting in his car are trying to figure out how to run a defense because the guy who killed himself was the best in the business at it, and he's trying to learn. So he's got all the books in front of him, and he's like, please, God, I'll read every book on Jesus and defensive coordinators you got. Just don't make me hurt anybody again, which I thought was interesting to see that from Coach Boss. who's usually a very unremorseful character. He'll do what needs to be done, but he doesn't really have much remorse for it. So I think maybe that's finally starting to weigh on him. And then you get this fucking crack across the face with a rifle, and he gets dragged out of the car by the woman we've seen who's a ex-Marine who's come back to town but we've seen her be pretty badass before so all the characters are coming together in this final bloody showdown i really liked it i do think the book suffers because we haven't read it in a while so you lose the pacing of it but i think that problem will go away when you read this maybe in a trade or just go back and read the previous two issues for the start of this arc because it's jason aaron it's fantastic the art's great the writing's great just don't get lost from the break that happened and they're back on track so you shouldn't have to wait for another six months for an issue
1: yeah i definitely agree with that you know that was like the biggest problem I had is that it's been so long since we read it that fortunately due to circumstances just made it harder I was remembering things as it was going but it was like oh wait oh yeah that's right it's like things kind of clicked in afterward the story kind of suffered from it interesting things with the redneck Superman as I was uh, thinking of him the assistant coach that they had there I also like the fact that you know like you said Ryan's like he's running in and stealing all the playbooks but as I remember he's not that great of an actual coach himself he's been relying heavily on the previous coach Biggs playbooks and stuff so it's like oh shit now i've got to actually learn what i'm doing i don't know just a lot of good stuff here
0: and i also thought what was interesting in that scene is he runs in and the first room he runs into is the trophy room that's on fire and he doesn't grab any of the trophies like he doesn't grab the past glory he goes for the playbooks to get future glory I thought yeah. that was a insightful way what he chose to save.
2: But I do think that was a strongly drawn panel with fire around the trophies.
0: talked about it before. Fire is really hard to do, and Jason Latour is doing all of the art. All the pencils, all the inks, all the colors. What would you think about the football, Matt? The foosball.
3: I hate this book. I fucking hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> the only part about this book that I didn't hate was Burt Reynolds. He's apparently the fucking bad guy.
2: That's what I say. <laughs> I always say he looks like Burt Reynolds, like a swarmy car dealership Burt
3: Reynolds.
0: Reminds me of Cal Worthington. <laughs>
3: And he's got the monkey from fucking BJ and the Bear. Except that was a chimp. Literally, he's like 70s asshole bad guy from the South. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's old Burt Reynolds and a monkey even.
0: Yes. It's like the car dealership that has the gimmick. Like for all of us in Northern California, when we grew up, we had Cal Worthington, who also had always had a a different pet every (laughs) commercial. So that's what he reminds me of.
1: I could sing that theme song still. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Go see Cal?
1: Yeah ah, oh, good stuff I, I don't like Southern
3: Bastards If there was like some weird southern backwoods magic maybe I might like it But it's literally, it's a fucking comic book about the south and football <laughs> I grew up in the south and they play football And I understand it's accurate, but I fucking hate football
0: Here's how good Southern Bastards is, alright It's a book, like you said, about football That nerds read and love and wins Eisner's about football it's really good you know these are not subjects that you think would click together but it's so heartfelt and personal for them i think truth comes through in art and i think this is their personal truth they're exploring
2: i'm like in this weird place where i totally agree with matt like personal taste wise i really don't care for the book personal love to me it's slow it's about footballs about the south it's like it's not really my wheelhouse as it were but on the same side I can tell that even though it's not for me it's incredibly well done like they do it well I just don't care how that they're doing it well I pick on weird little things like I really like the Burt Reynolds character I find that fucking entertaining and then weirdly I kept fixating on this issue at the beginning the guy in the spawn shirt, It is. So so obvious that it's a spawn shirt over and over again and it's a bad guy character so i'm like are they really just trying to throw an image nod in there saying we like spawn or are they trying to like take a dig at like mcfarlane and spawn saying we hate spawn fucking racist bastards wear spawn shirts i mean like what's the call that they're trying to play with that
0: i think it's just that it's an image
1: thing
3: it would be ironic for racist bastards to a spawn shirt
0: yeah because it's a black guy yeah
1: they probably don't know that though like that's the funny thing is i oftentimes seeing people wearing comic book character shirts and they have no idea what that comic character is all about because they don't fucking read comics but they just think they do you know like oh god punisher shirts (laughs) he's got fucking chains
3: and he's got fucking spikes and he's all fucking metal you know what i'm saying he like fucking lives in a goddamn alley he's fucking metal man he's the devil Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What?
1: He's
0: black?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've gotten so many arguments with people who think they know
0: comics, and you're just like, really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right, let's rate this thing up. I will give it three and a half. Good luck with those fires, Coach.
1: I was going to give it three and a half because I felt that it suffered because of the timing, but given the events that happened with everybody's family and stuff like that, I'll give him back that half point that I was going to knock him off. So I'm going to give it four sticks of butter on your grave. <laughs>
2: I'm going to give it three Spawn shirts. I'll give it
3: one and a half. At least it has Burt Reynolds in it.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, this book doesn't have Burt Reynolds in it, but some people get mad take us over to
2: Totally Awesome Hulk.
1: So we got Totally Awesome Hulk number 22. Marvel Comics Weapons of Mutant Destruction Conclusion written by Greg Pak. Pencils and inks by Robert Gill. Colors by Nolan Woodard. What happens in this one is that they are currently in the facility and they're tracking down they're finishing up chasing down all the Hulks and stuff like that that are in there and there's to the alpha and the beta one, I thought it was funny because I've been calling these Hulk Wolverine mashups Hulkareens, and they called them Hulkverines. So
0: I saw that and I was like, "Rory, you nailed it."
1: They heard me and they're like, "Oh, we can't say it exactly the way he did." <laughs> <laughs> show when he's talking to Logan and Sabretooth and Lady Deathstrike is sitting there going we were in there and it's like you guys were there murdering people weren't you? My favorite scene in there he's like slamming the ground we're not killers <laughs> beat the niceness into him <laughs> Hulk goes after the Hulk Hulkverine that's the one that just got converted that's a little bit less brainwashed or not brainwashed enough and he's trying to like slam him on the ground and like help reason with him and then side scientist that created him, Dr. Alba, she's like, oh, well, it's not going to work because I've cut out all of his higher thinking and all that stuff. So he's nothing but like pretty much just anger and smash. (laughs) He's just like
0: the lizard brain. That's all that's
1: left yeah so this big badass fight starts breaking out which I love this fight how they're smashing each other and like, destroying the facility and opening up the earth above the town that's built on top of the facility and everybody's running for their lives and stuff and Sabretooth the entire time is telling him you could beat this you just gotta let somebody out you got like the unstoppable weapon you just gotta let him out and then they had the cool scene of Cho in his mind there's this car and in the back seat there's something trying to get out and he's like god damn it and then he lets the Hulk out let's do that I love the license how oh, it says show time. <laughs> so he lets the Hulk out, they start fighting, and then the the other Hulk, the more indoctrinated of the two, comes out and they start fighting together. Cho once again is like, hey guys, you know, uh <laughs> I'm here to help you both. Let's not they just completely start fighting, and then the super tough Hulk hacks off the weaker Hulk's head, and then the doctors are trying to redirect him because apparently she left something in his head so that she could have a little bit more control over him and then it turns on them and and they take off but leave all the other doctors to die <laughs> <laughs> they fight for a while but then it's like the big super tough hulk backs down and runs away because he doesn't consider hulk a threat he's like not even worth fighting and Sabretooth makes some sort of wisecrack of it and he gets all like fucking pissed and they have the uh, little trademark you know in the back like we're weapon x in the very back like super cheesy metal band fucking album cover photo that's the story in a nutshell here it was lots of cool hulk smash and hulk on hulk action what did you guys think about it
0: i actually really like this one i liked how they kind of do the same trick they do in kill bill when it gets too bloody to show they go to black and white in kill bill so you can have all that blood and here because the hulk's blood is green he gets to get torn apart by these hulkareens and because it's green blood it's way bloodier than a normal marvel comic should be because he's getting impaled by those Wolverine claws left and right
1: jacked <laughs> yeah
0: i like when they're fighting the scene in like one of those disaster movies where all the cracks start opening in the ground and people start falling in and the x-men save him i thought it was pretty cool i really liked the scene with Arc passenger of the hulk in the trunk they've been using that imagery throughout the entire run of totally awesome hulk they use it in generations where there's this thing that he's keeping bottled up and then he lets it out and i thought that was pretty cool
2: that was actually my favorite panel that was the imagery they've been using and i maybe think of generations and this that panel of him coming out and lights places Showtime. It was really well done. That could be a poster or a t-shirt. It was really
1: cool.
0: <laughs> what would you think about him, Matt? I don't like the storyline, but I
3: think they did it well and the art was really good. I don't know why they brought Doomsday into the Marvel Universe because that's really all I'm seeing <laughs> with that guy. He's got jagged pieces of adamantium sticking out of him and he's big and gray. I mean, Doomsday was a ripoff of the Hulk in the first place. Now I want to see him fight Hyperion. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get past this. Also, I hate the fact that this storyline has been going on the entire time Secret War has been going on. On. So, I'm like, what the fu-? At least I know Guardians is in the future. Like, it's a couple months down the road. I have no idea when this is happening, but I'm like, well, this either happened before, in which case I would have thought that would have fucked with people's heads, or this happened after, in which case I would have thought the head fuckery from Secret War would have done something here. I haven't liked this story to begin with. It just seems like somebody listened to a whole lot of heavy metal, got really fucking high, and really <laughs> drunk. He's like, dude, 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 I know what to do. We'll put claws in the Hulk. <laughs> we're gonna have some fucking robots and Sabretooth and all the fucking crazy killer guys. And we're gonna fucking cut some people,
1: but shows can be like, no, we can't kill some people. <laughs> Anybody got any Funyuns?
2: It does seem like that kind of comic nerdy. Well, yeah, well, the Hulk would be unstoppable if he had claws.
3: Well, let's
0: do that. I don't understand how. Frankly, any of that helps the Hulk. Honestly, he doesn't need claws, and he already has a healing factor. Like,
3: yeah. the Hulk gets angry enough, those claws are going to get bent on something. I mean, he's the fucking Hulk, for crying out loud. It's
0: like, what if we put a knife on a grenade? You're like, well, what the fuck? Like-?
3: <laughs> it's called a claymore. It just seems like overkill.
0: I've heard, like, comic book people argue like that. It's kind of cool because the first introduction of Wolverine is in a Hulk comic. So that's kind of a neat little angle with it, too. Yeah. I enjoy, actually, the parts with Sabretooth where him and the Hulk fight each other. And, like, every time the Hulk just beats the shit out of him. Just, like, one punch or yells at him you see like, his hair go back. I like when they emphasize how big the Hulk is. Like, there's a scene where he's holding people in each hand, like, one person in each hand. He's so fucking massive. Cho is pretty chill most of the time Deacon beats an ass when he needs to but he rarely loses control and here you start seeing more of him losing
3: it's good in pieces it's just the storyline as a whole it's like can we get this over with please <laughs> yeah, Let's rate it up, dude.
1: I almost feel the exact opposite of this as I did with Wolverine. Same idea, same things I hated about the Wolverine stuff, but for some reason I liked it here with the Hulk. So <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'm glad it's over, but I really did enjoy this issue, and so I'm going to give it for, I call them hulk first, motherfuckers.
2: <laughs> I like Cho being Cho. I thought there was some nice artwork
0: in it. It was...
3: Chrissy, you're getting sucked out of the Matrix. Fuck, we're going to lose her. I really hope the ship on the other side has some protein mixed for her. She's going to... Th- <laughs> All over the deck. Are
0: you there, Carissa?
3: Oh, she's coming back. She's, she's coming, coming back. out of it. She's fighting it.
0: Everybody clap really hard so she knows we believe in her.
1: Yeah, she's standing up right now. She's <laughs> shaking her fists. USA! USA!
0: I was thinking Tinkerbell, but we can go with Hulk Hogan.
1: <laughs> Ooh, yeah! She's like a ghost. She's breaking through the speed force.
0: <laughs> Everyone trying to remember her name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You gotta remember. You gotta remember,
3: Barry.
0: What's going on? Son of a biscuit.
2: Chris is
3: smash. I will give it three competent jobs.
0: I thought this was pretty good. I will give it three and a half, you've got the biggest, baddest monster inside of you.
1: (laughs) Sounds like a sexual euphemism.
0: All right. Wrap us up, Rory.
1: All right. So those were some of the books we read this week at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher.
0: On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict.
1: Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep on reading, nerds.